Well, today is our final Sunday in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 is all about thinking. Uh, We've been calling this hoodwinked uh, thinking, and it's we don't want to do that. Chapter 2 is really a warning about thinking. Chapter 1 is also talking about thinking, but we're here in chapter 2. We're going to finish that up. I just want to let you know next Sunday, uh, Palm Sunday, we're going to be stepping out of Colossians for just that Sunday. We're going to be going to Jesus Christ supreme to the cross next Sunday. And then on Easter Sunday, we're actually going to come back to Colossians chapter 3, risen, supremely risen with Christ, the beginning of Colossians really correlates the the rising of Christ and the reality of that to our lives, so it's a perfect fit for us. But we're in chapter 2 here, and a pivotal statement made in verses 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. And it's the idea of that, uh, we talked about the form of that word there. It's present, active, continuous walking. It's not running, it's not standing, it's not sprinting, it's not sitting, it's walking. Uh, And that really describes in a great summary what the whole Christian life is all about. Coming to know Christ as your Savior, receiving Christ as your Savior, reconciled in Christ, and then walking in Him. It's not just about coming to receive Him, but it's about growing and walking in Him. That's the whole part of it. And, and, and But Doug, what does walking with Christ look like? I'm glad you asked. That's perfect for me here because I had that fit right with my notes here. And what does it look like? I would say it this way. Number one, walking with Christ means right thinking. It requires right kind of thinking. And ultimately, that's what chapters one and two are all about. What's so interesting is Ephesians chapter one through three, it's also about thinking. It's about what's going on right up here in our head, right thinking. That's what walking in Christ means. But it doesn't stop just in thinking. The next thing it moves on to is right living. Right thinking drives right living. Thinking in Christ drives living in Christ. And Colossians chapter one and two is about thinking in Christ. Colossians chapter 3 and really 4 are about what it looks like to walk in Christ. So if you're kind of like, Doug, can we get onto the meat and potatoes of what it looks like to walk in Christ? Hey, we're getting there as Paul's getting there in this letter. It's coming. It's right around the corner from it. But yet that's why we've been spending the time that we've been spending in chapters 1 and 2. Because if we're not thinking rightly... Uh, we're not going to be living rightly. If we're not thinking in Christ, we're not going to be living in Christ. So here we are in chapter 2, and one of the things that's so interesting is about how Paul approaches in chapter 2 the thinking thing. What he really is doing is chapter 2 is a warning. It's really a warning of how not to think. And what's helpful at times is to know how to do something, is to kind of know what it looks like, what I should not be doing in that. And we've been talking about that. Paul basically is coming out and he's saying, watch out. Watch out that you don't get hoodwinked by plausible thinking, by plausible arguments. They sound right, they sound good, and they make sense. I can even relate it, I can feel it. Uh, But Paul's like, watch out. And then last Sunday, we talked in uh, verses 6 through 15 and about how to be careful of being hoodwinked by philosophical systems. That's essentially what he's talking about here. And today, we're going to be at the end of this chapter, be careful and watch out that you don't get hoodwinked by man-made religion. Man-made religion. Why? I mean, why be so careful about this? Why watch out? Because as you are walking in Christ, your thinking is in the crosshairs of someone wanting to hoodwink you. Listen, you and I are walking prey. Just know that. And I'm talking about in our thinking especially. Our thinking is on walking prey. And, and, and I've loved this picture from the hoodwinked movie. You know, here's red over here and the wolf. And it's like, really, I'm your grandmother. You know, and what a perfect picture this is to show that uh, not grandma, right? 
Now, there's kind of a humor side to that, and yet it really depicts what's going on. But cartoons sometimes stay in cartoon world, so I'd like to bring a little bit of reality, and I'd like for us to take a look at this picture. Uh, this is hunted as prey picture. Now, you may look at this and, and kind of see the reality of what's going on in this picture that he's looking. He's got something in his cross here, something in his eyes, and he's picking it out, and he's not wanting to go over and roll on his belly and go pet me, all right? Now, even this picture has the ability to kind of maybe stay in National Geographic, like, boy, that kind of looks like my dog or something. So let me uh, say that this picture really represents what's about to happen with this picture. Friends, this is the reality of what Paul is talking about. This is the thing that do understand your thinking your mind, how you think about things, how you process things, the arguments that are out there of the possibilities and so forth. Paul is not saying, as we've talked about, Paul is not saying pull out from them. He's not saying don't interact with them. He's not even saying don't think about them. Paul is just saying this, watch out because that's coming. Because that's right there waiting for you. And as we are walking with Christ, no, this is going on. And we are in the crosshairs, not for a nice little dog to come up and roll over and be my buddy, but for the teeth to come out and to take us and to walk away with you and I hanging out of his mouth as prey to be chewed up and eaten. That's why Paul is talking the way that he is, because of the false teachers that were going around in Colossae. Now, uh, this picture uh, behind me is uh, very depicting of it, but I also don't want to leave you with nightmares leaving this picture up for the next period of time here. So let's go kind of move on to the next one, back to the other one. And I actually love this one more. Uh, Just in the idea, it's praying, you guys. And I don't mean on its knees with its hands folded. I mean it's walking and it's looking. And it's waiting for you and I to be hoodwinked at any moment to take you and I out. God, I just pray as we dig into this text that uh, we would realize the seriousness of our mind. You've created us with an incredible, unique ability to think. And yet in the thinking of it, in the sin-cursed world, we are being hunted. And I would pray that we would take the words that you give us here in this chapter to watch out and to be careful. We would take them seriously. This is not a game. This is life and death. So we're here to hear, we're here to hear from your word, Lord. More of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, Bible's open on your laps. Colossians 2, right? You're there. Uh, uh, Let's begin verse 16, where we're going to be at today. And we start out with know the fussing game. Know the fussing game. And what's the first word? You tell me. Therefore. Uh, In the English Standard Version, which is what I'm using, it has therefore. And you always ask the question, what's the therefore? Therefore. Well, it's, it's tying itself, what it's about to say, to what was just previously said. What was just previously said in the text, uh, really up in, in verses 11 through 15. Well, what was just being said and talked about from we went through last Sunday is the fullness of the fullness is in Christ. He is fully God and not partial. The fullness of everything is in Christ. And Paul brings the argument around philosophical systems. And it's like, watch out. Listen, why why are we getting involved in that? Why are you getting hoodwinked in that? When the fullness of the fullness of the fullness is in Jesus Christ. 
And in chapter 1 lays out the supremacy of Christ in it all. And, and he's laying that out. And we talked about how out of that passage that is giving this idea that if you know Christ is your Savior uh, in his burial, in his death, in, in his rising, in his made, being made alive, and his, in his victory, there is a co-sharing of that. Uh, we have been uh, co-buried and co-raised and co-made alive and co-victorious. It's just such a conquering, victorious thing. Coming out of that thinking, therefore, in light of that, look at the text, verse 16, Paul says, let no one. It's a resist letting anyone. It's, 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 it's a command. It's a present active imperative. It's a while you are walking, you must presently, actively, continuously, you must be letting no one. Letting no one what? Look at the text. Letting no one pass judgment on you. Now be careful with that text here. We're not, someday we'll, we'll come across the text where it's talking about judging and what that means and so forth here. But this is talking about a particular judging. Uh, what particular judging? Well, we, we'll see that in the text. But it's this idea of let no one pass judgment on you. Let no one sit in judgment over God's people, over you, follower of Christ, in a particular reality. Let no one draw the observation and the conclusion on you of something. Uh, well, what is Paul, I just want to note here, what is Paul doing here? It's continuing so interesting. He's warning us in this whole process. And I love the fact what the Bible does. It's so practical. It's so real. So here's what Paul does. He says, listen, I, I want to warn you about something that you should let no one. And by the way, he tells exactly what it is. He's about to tell us what we're to be watching out for. Uh, it's so cool. God's word does not just say, watch out. And you're like, okay, I'm watching. I'm trying to get my eyes big. Uh, we're now going to go in the practical realities. Paul lists out some specific things. And, and if you will, game number one in the fussing game is spiritual legalism. So here he goes. Let no one pass judgment on you. Uh, uh, by the way, who's the no one people? Well, the no one people are the judging people. They're the spiritualistic people that we're about, legalistic people that we're about to see here. They're the rule makers. And I'll add with that, they're the rule followers. Because rule followers also pass on rule makers, be, generally become that. How so? Oh, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Now, in some ways, there's aspects of that. Well, maybe it doesn't apply to us. Oh, it applies to us in a number of ways, but it especially applies to them in that day. I mean, the food and drink is coming out of this Old Testament concept of what you can and cannot eat. Uh, what you should drink, and there were rules for eating and rules for drinking. There were rules for what you can eat and drink, rules for what you cannot eat and drink. There were rules when you could eat and drink and why you could eat and drink and how you could eat and drink. And that's one of the things that Paul puts on the table. He goes on. In questions of food or drink or three other things or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, now what is all this talking about? Uh, that's kind of coming out. Maybe I could say it like this. People who go around saying, listen, spiritual people participate in this list of festivals. And at that time, they're all coming out of the Old Testament. Hey, by the way, and most of them were God-given festivals to follow, by the way. So what's the problem, Doug? Hang on, we'll get there. But let no one pass you uh, pass judgment on you regarding festivals. Let no one pass judgment on you regarding a new moon. In other words, as faithful people will offer their sacrifices on the new moon time, uh, the first of the month time. They're calendar people. That's the big picture. Okay? Uh, calendar people. And then it's along with that are on the Sabbath. Uh, godly people follow the Sabbath rules. By the way, you do know we're not under the Sabbath rule. You do know that. I hope you do. Because we're in the new covenant, not the old covenant. And I go back to these people and I go, bless their hearts. These believers in Colossae, they didn't have a full written New Testament like we have. 
In fact, there were only a handful of the New Testament letters written at the time when they were alive. And everything that they knew was coming out of the Old Testament. Everything that they knew was being told to them. And, and a lot of them were being told by Jews who come from that background. And the point of this is, is Paul is like, listen, it's all rule living under the old covenant system. It's old covenant living in a new covenant reality. Well, Doug, what's wrong with following the calendar and sacrificial and Sabbath rules? Verse 17 is what tells us. Love this. What an image. These are, sh- are a shadow of things to come. Shadow. A-, a shadow is a casting of something. I look right here, and I see there's this stand here, and off of here, I don't know if you can see it or not, but there's shadows coming off of this. There's actually, whoa, hey, there's a shadow of me coming out here. And if you were the same thing, a shadow is a shadow. A shadow is not the substance. A shadow is casting a shadow of some other entity. And and I'll tell you, shadows can be so cool. When you see photography done using shadows, they're like, oh, that's so awesome. And the Old Testament and, and God's planet, it is so cool in so many ways. But biblically, the Old Testament was shadow of things to come. You see in the text? These are a shadow of things to come. What is the things to come? You go on in the verse, but the substance, the substantial reality, the thing that is casting the the shadow is coming from belongs to Christ. That's what the shadow is of. Biblically, the Old Testament laws were the shadow of Christ. It was helping us come to understand God's redemptive plan. Ultimately, God's redemptive plan through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. They were a shadow of Christ. The whole Old Testament calls us and points us and shows us to the need for a Savior because of our great sin. The Old Testament gives this transitory picture. And it was good, and it was sufficient, and it was exactly what God wanted at the time. But the truth is, it was totally insubstantial in and of itself. A shadow has no substance. I mean, I can't grab it, and I can't pick it up and show it to you. There's a shadow off of my water bottle. I can't grab the shadow and show you anything. The shadow is all about the substance, right? Got the picture? And so you bring that into the context of what's happening here. And then Paul is saying, listen, they are shadow living, not substance living. They are living the shadow. They are not living Christ. The shadow had a purpose. The shadow was important. The shadow was given by the Godhead. But know this, when the real deal shows up, get on that. I mean, when the real deal shows up, how often do you walk around and go, wow, look at the shadow of that. And that's what was happening. And that's what was happening. It's people that are essentially, in the terminology here, you aren't following the shadow. And the response is, well, duh, because the substance has shown himself. Get off the shadow and get on Christ. That's why the focus in chapters 1 and chapter 2 has been on the supremacy of Christ, the preeminence of Christ, the grandness of Christ, the amazingness of Christ. The word terminology that's used again and again is in Christ, with Christ, walking in him. Get off the shadow. Get on him. And that's what Paul is bringing to the table for these believers in Christ. And just at this point in time, I just have to ask us, and I have to ask myself, and I have to ask you, and I have to ask this church. Are you, are we being hunted and hoodwinked by shadow living? Are you? 
stuck in shadow religiosity? Are you shadow judging other people? Let me give you some examples. The I don't spirituality. Well, I just want for you to know, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with the girls that do. I don't drink alcohol, I don't smoke, I don't listen to rock music, I don't go to movies, I don't eat fatty foods, I don't eat... This isn't quite true. I'm just... Okay. I don't eat red meat. I don't cuss. I don't wear jeans to church. Oops. I don't have a big house. I have a small house. I have an inexpensive car because that's the way religious people do it. I'm spiritual. And if you don't follow the same, you're unspiritual. I don't spirituality. Then there's I do shadow living spirituality. I recycle. I eat organic. I drink water, not pop. It's definitely not true. I read the King James Bible. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm an Independent. I'm a Catholic, a Methodist, a Lutheran, a Baptist, a non-denominational person. I go to harvest. I like hymns and stained glass and pipe organs and adult Sunday school class and liturgy. I lead a small group. I lead a ministry team. I've been to Haiti, not St. Vincent. (laughs) I homeschool. I do a five-minute daily devotional every day. Neener, neener. Let me just bring that to the whole other side of it. Neener, neener. I don't wear a tie, and I'm not wearing a bow tie today, even though some of you were going to. I don't like hymns. These aren't my personal things, okay? Just someone else person that says, I don't like hymns. Like is just as legalistic. Person who just says, I don't really care, people of Christ, what you think of me being here. There's a part of that where that's okay, and there's a part of that where what are you talking about? If we're a faith family together, we, we do care what we do around each other. I don't do short mission, short-term mission trips. I do like rock, and I do go to movies. I do drink beer, and in your face. Do you get what I'm saying? I just want to say this. All those things, we love that. We love that stuff. And by the way, I'm not asking if you do that. You do. And so do I. You see, sin-cursed people, we love measuring. We love comparing. We love checking the box. Walking in Christ, just tell me what I need to do today so I can check the box. I read my Bible. I prayed. Check, check. I'm good with God. Maybe not. Maybe you need to put your Bible down and stop reading it and get your eyes focused on Jesus before you start reading it. Listen, we can go there. We love legalism. We can love legalism with our personal preference things, and we can love legalism in past shadow things. Well, I grew up with, well, I prefer, well, I like. Here, here's the deal. What does God's word say, and what does Jesus say? That's the deal. And we all tend towards that. Let's just be straight up about it. And legalism is a religion of human achievement. 
And it makes conformity to man-made rules, to our preferences, the measure of your and my spirituality. And we love doing that. Because you can count it and measure it and stack it up and check it off. But where's relationship with Jesus in it? That's the question. Hey, if you were to go home to your spouse if you're married, or just imagine if you're not, and you go home to your spouse, and you go, I loved her today. I did the check one and two and three. See, honey, I loved you today. I I did all the to-dos. I can tell you what's coming out of my wife's mouth. That's not relationship. Friends, listen. Wherever you are at in your spiritual journey, Jesus desires relationship with you. And if you have a checklist, I want to call you today to take that thing and ripple it up and throw it out and get back to relationship with Jesus. That's what legalism does. That's what spiritual legalism does to you. That's game number one, but Paul doesn't stop there because he has fussing game number two. It's, I've got in your notes, there's spiritual asceticism or mysticism. It, it, there's kind of a combination of both of those in here. And, uh, let's go through this. Verse 18. Now, by the way, I just want to note, 18 is one of the hardest verses to, to, of translation in the whole book of Colossians here. So like I told you last week with a couple of the hard concepts last week, there are some things that I can't nail down with positivity or for sureness. And so what I'm going to do here is we're going to kind of keep on the upper level of the things that we can clearly grab out of here. Okay, and it says, let no one disqualify you. By the way, did you notice that that's the second let no one? In fact, I have in my Bible underlined or actually highlighted, let no one in verse 16 and let no one in verse 18. Highlight that, underline that. You're getting a feel on what he's doing here. Let no one, let no one do this and let no one do this. Let no one do what? Let no one disqualify you. It's let no one defraud you of your rightful prize by declaring you disqualified. It's like a spiritual umpire. Spiritual umpire, it's like, you're out of the game, man. You're out of the game. (laughs) Okay, got the picture of that? It's like you're in the face, you see the two guys, and they're like, you don't meet the qualifications. You're disqualified. Get out of here. Listen, there are people that do that. There are systems that do that. They try to disqualify you. And and Paul says, let no one do that. Let no one disqualify you. Look at the text. By insisting on, by the way, that word can also mean take pleasure, taking pleasure in. Both of them could work here. By insisting on, uh, my version has asceticism and the worship of angels. It could be by insisting on that, or it could be taking pleasure in that. In other words, there's, a, there's just a grand satisfaction of their superiority and a satisfaction in their umpiring you out of the game. Asceticism and worship of angels. In English Standard Version, as I note, I really don't like this term asceticism that they've got there because the word literally means lowliness of mind. And asceticism, I think, has an ability to bring a category of people. And Paul is not addressing a category of people. He's talking about this, uh, those who have a lowliness of mind. Now, that sounds wonderful, because shouldn't we be humble? I mean, I would think we'd be humble. But it's used here in the idea that it's fraudulent humility. It's uh, disqualify you uh, by insisting on a lowliness of mind. What's being talked about there? 
Well, there's discussion is uh, the, that term and the worship of angels term that follows it. Are those two separate categories? In, others, in other words, the lowliness of mind. Uh, that back in the day was used by some of the false teachers to give this idea of this self-deprecating, this self-abasement. Uh, had to do with uh, um, fasting. And, and even like, you know, I've seen these pictures. We've seen this thing of like in India where this guy rolls like 20 miles literally rolls on, on his side over and over and over again. I don't know how many million times, like it was like 20 miles up to this temple place, rolling up the stairs to it. And everybody's like, whoa, that guy's so like spiritual. Dude, dude, save your shoulders, man. People sitting up on top of a pole. Why are they rolling? Why are they sitting on top of a pole for years? Because in their thinking, their debasement of their body in some kind of a way earns them religiosity. What? You see, that's lowliness of mind from the capacity of, I'm so low, I can't, uh, God can't accept me as I am, so I have to like do something so bad, whether it's cutting or whether it's, you know, not eating or these kinds of things where it's like, then God will. Or is it a separate thing or is it brought with the worship of angels where in the worship of angels they would do this fasting process where then they'd come and, and they would worship angels and in the worship of angels, why are people worshiping? Worshipping angels. Biblically, we are not to do that. You can see that, I think, towards the end of Revelation. John falls down before the angel, and the angel's like, don't do that, John. Don't worship me. Angels are servants. Angels are pointing us to God himself. And here they are worshiping angels, and if it's a, if those two concepts are together, it's the, we're so lowly, we can't have direct access to God, and there is a truth to that. So what we'll do is we'll go through angels. No. Do you see how that takes away from Christ? That gets Christ off the side, and something else in front and center. Don't do that, Paul. Let no one disqualify you because, Tang, listen, you, you don't do it that way. You've got to worship angels. Let no one do that. It's bad theology, and it's just outright wrong. Well, let's keep moving with verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on, I'll say, lowliness of mind uh, and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions. They're all hung up in visions. And then it says puffed up. That's like, just got a, a, a olden days, they used to have rubber tire things, you know, you push it, plate it up. That's what it's talking about. Puffed up, like the puff fish. You know, they're just all puffed up. Puffed up both about, without reason by his or her sensuous mind. Sensuous, that sounds sexual, if you will, here. But it, the real reality of the meaning is uh, by reason, by dominated by senses thinking. Oh my word, that's our culture. In fact, think about this. We don't even think, we don't even use the word think to ask people to think anymore. Here's the question. How do you feel about that? Right now, I'm a little bit warm with this sweater. Uh, Wait, we're asking people how they feel and we're really asking what they think. Even our terminology is senses-driven. We need to think. And listen, God created us as people with emotions and with feeling. And I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm not saying cut them out. But listen, on the, when, when, when the front of it all is going is you don't live life driven by your feelings first. I've never made a decision. I've never gone through things where emotions aren't there. But they don't drive life. They are part of life. We need to be thinking rightly as we move in life. We are a senses culture. The Bible's so relevant. And also, I'll add to that, with this context of what's being talked about, we are mesmerized by spiritual freakiness. That's a theological term. <laughs> we get fixated on angels and miracles and visions and a five-year-old boy that saw heaven. 
toast with the image of Jesus on it. We are fascinated by people who say they can talk to the dead. We're fascinated with, can we pray to our ancestors? We're fascinated by so many and praying to Mary. And I'm just sure that Mary is just stunned by that. Why are you praying to me? Why are you worshiping me? Get off of me and get on the Savior. That's the whole thing here. And it, it's, yet we, we just love that. And, and the part is, is what this little boy saw in heaven is reported Trump scripture. Go to scripture, you guys. We go there first. That's God's written word in it. And, and these things, they end up trumping scripture and, and they detract from what's going on. They detract from eyes on Jesus. I'm not getting into gifts. I'm not getting into any of that stuff right now. I'm just saying in the general tendency is it's very easy for us to be swooped away. Verse 19. Look at this. Uh, Without reason of, uh, in other words, dominated by senses thinking, verse 19, and not holding fast to the head. Not holding fast It's present active continuous, not presently, actively, continuously holding fast, holding firmly to the head. And by the way, this could be referring to the the legalism section being talked about, the mystics in it, the asceticism in it. It could be talking about that they've directly pulled away, or it could be talking about that they've subtly pulled away, and they don't even know it. Not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, all the body, no parts excluded, is presently, actively, and continuously nourished. And presently, actively, and continuously knit together through its joints and ligaments. Grows with a growth that is from God the Father. In other words, grows with a growth that is generated by and stimulated by the Lord. Spiritual legalism and asceticism and mysticism gets us, has the tendency to pull us away from the head. And when the head is gone, no food can go in, no thought can take place, no truth is heard, no breath of life is had, and the body dies. Stay to the head, to Jesus Christ. I want to be careful here in this. In the text, it's so interesting because we generally are thinking, I know people like that, and bad, shame on them. But what Paul is doing is talking to you and I. Let no one do that. You, follower of Christ, let no one judge you. Legalists judge. Let no one disqualify you. Mystics and asceticism disqualifies. You don't do that. You don't participate in that. You can't do that. And it's our job. And let no one. And let no one. Verse 16 through 19. Know the fussing game. Verse 20 to 23 quickly. Know your freedom. Know your freedom reality. Verse 20. If with Christ, oh, by the way, remember that? That's been the whole focus. It was like a dozen times in verses 6 through 14, with Christ, in Christ. That's the co-buried, the co-raised, the co-alive, the co-victory. If with Christ... You died to the elemental spirits of the world. We talked about that last week. The elementaries of the world. Why? As if you were still alive in the world. Paul's not talking about physical life. He's talking about this idea of just uh, worldly oriented lives. In other words, uh, why? uh, As if you were still alive in the world. Why do you? Why do you submit to the regulations? By the way, I've got underlined why and do you. Because think, here's the flow of the passage. Let no one, let no one, and why do you? It's like a very simple summary of this text. Let no one, let no one, why do you? Why do you submit then to regulations or ordinances 
like, uh, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Like, like, can't pick that up. Can't taste that. Can't touch that. It's all shadow living. Verse 22, according to the human precepts and according to the kind of specific directives and the human teachings, those are more the general instructions. Verse 23, these rules, essentially, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. Hey, friends, they look so wise. They seem to be sensible. They seem to make sense. Appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. Self-made religion, it's, it's self-chosen religion, it's self-ordained piety in promoting self-made religion and uh, asceticism or this false humility or this false self-abasement living, a viewing of yourself as superior because of what you do or don't do. It promotes self-made religion and asceticism and the severity to the body. Look at this, but they are of no value no value. They're foolish, essentially. They're hollow chocolate bunnies, like we talked about last week. Just like the plausible arguments, just like the philosophical systems, the legalism and the asceticism and the mysticism, all hollow chocolate bunnies. They may look tasty and they may be nice and they may be able to be stacked and put on a shelf and organized really well and substantiate what you think you are. But here, they are an appearance of wisdom. But look at the end. But they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Putting up fences, I think you know what I'm talking about. Putting up fences can be very wise. Things like accountability with others, putting a covenant eyes on your computer, having clothing standards, movie standards, having TV standards that can be wise. Having a Bible reading plan can be very wise and helpful. Having a plan on how you're going to view church and your attendance is very important. Dating standards, really important. Debt standards, wise. Maybe even fences with certain people. But know this, any such fences do not stop the flesh. Parents, are you listening to me right now? Because parents, we can be amazing at putting guidelines in place. And we think if our children just stay within the guidelines and obey those principles that we've got their heart. That's legalistic thinking. Fences need to be in place. But it's ultimately about walking in him. That's what it's all about. Fences do not define you. They do not measure you. They do not stack you up. Might that be you? Might that be you? Chapter 2 is all about watching out for our thinking. I think chapter 1 is so much about how to think rightly about the Father and especially the Son. Chapter 2 is right thinking that we don't get hoodwinked with the, the great arguments that are out there. You don't get hoodwinked by the philosophical systems that are out there and being presented and sounded so nice. By the man-made religious approaches on what relationship with God is to look like. Watch out. Walking with Christ includes watching out 
And right thinking drives right living. Right thinking in Christ is what drives right living in Christ. Okay, Doug, I'm uh, maybe buying this here and I understand the importance of right thinking and the warning about wrong thinking and all these kinds of things. But could you like just tell me what does right living now look like? I'm so glad you asked because that's what chapters three and four do. This is so cool, you guys. God in his wisdom goes right what we need to hear for first. Colossians 1 and 2, and same thing in Ephesians 1 through 3. You need to think rightly. Then we'll start talking about how to live it out. And guess what? We're going to start talking about how to live it out. How to live it in all kinds of areas of life. So that's coming up. But let me just close with just a couple application questions for you to leave thinking about today. Number one, are you letting others? Might you possibly be letting others judge you or disqualify you? Know this, there will be people who do that. Don't be surprised when it happens. That's essentially what Paul is saying. It will happen. This is going on. And it's your and my responsibility, both as individuals before Christ and as people before Christ, we need to be the kind of people that we're watching out, and when that happens, we don't let that take us out. Or we don't let that take us in. Might somebody be doing that to you? And you need to let no one. I am not saying go home and chew them out. I am not saying write them a nasty letter. We're in thinking. We're saying right up here, you go, you know what? I've been allowing that wrong theology to control me and disqualify me. And I'm walking, going to walk in him. Let no one. Secondly, how might you be legalistic with yourself? How might you be legalistic with yourself? I didn't read my Bible today. God must not love me. Look at me. You cannot do anything more to earn any more of God's fullness. You cannot. We talked about that last week. But walking in him does mean relationship. God is not in the checklist game. God is in the relationship game. And that's what it is. And I just call you, maybe you are allowing yourself to be caught up in legalism that you haven't even thought about. So you need to think about it and get off the checklist and get on Jesus. Secondly, third, actually, how might you be legalistic with others? Singles, are there ways that you're legalistic with other singles? Couples, are you legalistic with your spouse? What silent guidelines do you have to measure your spouse? And he didn't do that today. She didn't do that today. A godly wife, a godly husband would. Parents, I'm all about fences. But are you legalizing your kids? Or are you teaching them how to think? Or are you getting at their heart? Just because your kids follow the rules through the system does not mean they know what relationship with Jesus is. Your rules do not stop the indulgence of their flesh, just like with you. And lastly, how might religious self-denial or asceticism or religious mysticism be getting you focused off of Jesus Christ? 
Might it? Is it? Lord, um, we do humbly come before you as a people in need of grace. (laughs) And Lord, with chapter 2 of Colossians, it just clearly helps us to understand and actually be encouraged by the fact that you know our struggle with these things. You know we just are quickly bent towards legalism. You, you, you know that we can get caught up in just mystic, sometimes silliness. And Lord, we need you. You, I think this passage is screaming, we are free in Christ. Freedom in Christ, not freedom to do what we want to do, but freedom not to be stuck in this kind of stuff and freedom to walk with you. Oh God, I pray that freedom when Christ would ring in our homes. I pray that freedom in relationship with Jesus Christ would be ruling in our heads. Oh God, I and we, we tend to check the boxes. You know that. We tend to stack the spiritual chips and compare them to how we see others' chips. It's just a game, God. It's a silly, religious, man-made, self-piety game. Oh, God, would you help us? Thank you for your forgiveness, for your grace, for your enduring and your love and the fullness of you having been given to all those who know Christ as Savior. God, I just ask that we would be king in on you. PhDs in Jesus. Seeking answers from Jesus. Doing relationship with you. Lord, we need more relationship with you. More in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.